The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode eight of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson. I'm coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is my good friend, Damon Grant. Damon is a world-class percussionist who's performed with Charlie Hunter, Morgan James, Horacio Onega Hernandez, Stefan Harris, tons of other great artists. He has his own band called the Damon Grant Project. He released his own record that is titled Prevailing Melodies. And he is also the host of the podcast Discussions in Percussion. So this this episode is special. I wanted to pick Damon's brain about you know some techniques that drum set players should know on how to play the different percussion instruments, some tips on how to play with a percussionist, um, a gear rundown of how he works with hybrid setups. This is a, a pretty deep one. If you got a wish list for some Christmas gifts or uh, whatever, you know, birthday presents, there's a lot of uh, toys and cool things to check out in this episode. So let's get right to it. Dude, I almost want to just get right into the, the nerdy stuff, but I feel like we have to talk about PASIC a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's fine. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about PASIC. I mean, I know about you. It's good to see you there. Um, it's good to see you too. I mean, I just saw you, but I mean, yeah, it's good right. to see you again. <laughs> right. I don't know about you, but I felt like it was surprisingly badass for a pace at the end of a pandemic. Attendance was great. Clinicians were great. Yes. Um, the only thing that I was hoping for was um, to see more gear because I'm kind of a gear nerd, mm-hmm. but I completely understand that there's like a big shipping kerfuffle is that a is that like an sat word kerfuffle <laughs> there's a big shipping kerfuffle going on and there's also a cardboard shortage so the companies that are already strapped with shipping gear out to like their artists or music stores or whatever and then to have to turn right around to their shipping departments and be like oh yeah can you send a bunch mm. of stuff to indianapolis and then we're going to send whatever we don't sell right back i'm sure the people in the shipping department were like are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't know there was a cardboard shortage, shortage and I work at a warehouse. I should have known that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's also a microchip shortage because I was looking for a new camera and uh, they're like, yeah, that's the big holdup. <laughs> yeah. Pretty wild. But let's, I mean, yeah, the, the exhibit hall hopefully next year will be much more packed and filled out, but it was still great to see the few companies that were there to represent. Um, let's talk about clinicians. What did you get to see? What were you impressed by? What did you learn from this year's PASIC? Um, well, the first thing I saw was the the vibraphone concert, the hundredth anniversary, and um, I was really excited that they went through like the, th- the I guess if you want to call them the big three pioneers of the vibraphone: Lionel Hampton, Bobby Hutcherson, Milt Jackson, but also included a very overlooked um, vibraphone player that's not just a vibraphonist, but he's also like a soul R and B musician. And that's Roy Ayers. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he gets overlooked a lot. You know, people dive right in to, uh, to Gary Burton and Mm -hmm. then people like him with like Terry Gibbs and, um, Emil Richards, you know, they go down that list and it's like, well, there's another guy over here. Oh, and then you got the Latin side of things like Cal Jader, Dave Samuels, you know, um, Tito Puente, he always gets overlooked. So they vibes. Yeah. I have never heard or seen Tito when they play vibes. Oh, well then as soon as we end this, I'm going to send you some stuff. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like a hundred years of the vibraphone, it's an instrument that covers wide genres and, and styles. And they were trying to fit in as much as they could. And I think they did an awesome job Mm. that the featured vibraphonists were Stefan Harris, Warren Wolf, um, Joe Locke and Jason Marcellus. The rhythm section was crushing. Obed Calvera on drums, Ben Williams on bass. I can't remember who's playing piano. Please forgive me. We had dinner that night. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but then the next day, um, you know, I've been doing like the singer songwriter setup, not the mm-hmm. one you're looking at. And and sometimes I have to be really quiet and I've been working on my brushwork and I went to go see Clayton Cameron just to re- be reminded of what I need to practice. And he did not disappoint. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the sound he gets out of his sweeps alone. I mean, I, ironically, I didn't know he was going to be there in the past month. I've been shedding through his book, Brushworks. Mm. 
just getting because I haven't I haven't literally having to play anything with brushes. It's just been train beats for like twelve years. <laughs> so it took a while just to get the sweeps back, and then like that book is deep. But then yeah. to hear him and see him do that on stage and just get all these rhythms out of just pressure, like yeah, that's what yeah, an art I, form. I like the fact that um, in his clinics, I haven't seen him do one in a while, but I remember that he always makes a point of this. Is he talks about the relationship with tap dancing? Um, mm-hmm. That was a huge thing in the I want to say in the West Coast, um, the hoofers, the tap dancers, and the brush players. Like even if you go back to um, the movie Ray with Jamie Foxx, mm-hmm. um, there's a scene where like Ray first gets to Seattle and there's a guy like who puts down sand on the stage and starts like doing some tap dancing and, and soft shoe. Mm-hmm. And there's a j- guy behind him just sweeping on the brushes. And I'm like, there it is. That's mm-hmm. yes. So you're done. Are you doing sweeps and stuff in your songwriter gigs? Uh, sometimes if it's really like intimate and you know, you don't want the, the kick snare sound of the cajon or I have a, a, a pancake snare and a, and a pedal on the cone. So like that's even more drummy. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do, I'll mix sweeps in, you know, yeah, that's kind of what I use it for. Or right. if they have like a really soft, super ballady song, I'll just give some ambiance, you know, and, and those, that figure eight, pressure thing that he was doing mm-hmm. you know where to apply the pressure on the the figure eight to make it feel like moving eighth notes that was like i was like man i'm gonna be working on that for years yeah for real what are your brushes of choice um i use the vic firth legacy brushes which are um the the steel um bristles and then there's like a little like two inches of rubber so I can hit a rim or a cymbal, and then the rest of it is actually a wood shaft. So it feels like a drumstick, and if I need to, I can flip it over and do like a cross stick. Ah, cool. Yeah. Legacy brushes. There you go. Are they in stock? I mean, I know there's been a brush <laughs> shortage around the world. I mean, I've had the same pair for over a decade, so <laughs> mine are in stock. <laughs> You're the ideal artist. <laughs> well, I mean, like, how hard are you really going after it on brushes? Yeah, I mean, I've certainly blown some up on country gigs, but oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but usually, it's nylon ones where they just start flying apart. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't use a legacy brush for that. Uh, what else? Any other any other presentations, clinics you saw that you were like, I gotta, I gotta oh. get back into that. Marcus Gilmore yeah. um, was awesome because I mean, he might have talked for five minutes out of the entire clinic, mm-hmm. and um, the first part was just him playing and you got enough information just watching him play mm-hmm. that you didn't really need him to talk, you know, just him experiment. I, and I got to ask him afterwards. It's like, you know, are you leading your independence with the melodies or are you leading with an ostinato and then trying to just kind of expand the vocabulary from that ostinato? Mm-hmm. And at first he was like, it's the melodies, but then he's like, you know what? It's a both. It's both. It, it depends on the situation of what's going on musically, but um, you could tell that he was thinking and searching for stuff. That was really cool. Um, yeah. If anyone didn't wasn't at PASIC, Marcus Gilmore had a, one of the most unique setups, two bass drums tuned wide open and to different pitches. I, I don't which know he got from. three notes out of. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and then he would he had like a, a towel that he would press against the head for different sound. I mean, it was the bass drum sounds alone. It was so melodic, so cinematic. Just mm. between that, and then he had two hi hats. He had a main hi hat, and they had a a secondary hi hat by his left heel that had like cup chimes. Mm-hmm. So he was able to make these like dual hi hat parts that were just insane. His kit sounded beautiful. He had one cymbal, <laughs> just one <laughs> ride. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all you need. But it was. But the ride, it was. Um, defined enough that he could get articulation out of it, but washy enough that if he crashed on it, it would kind of kind of like when you, when you think about somebody diving into a pool, that kind of explosion. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was certainly one of my favorite basics ever was Jack DeJanette. And he just performed for 45 minutes of same thing. Like you could tell he just hit a drum and they hit another drum and then it became music all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. I felt like Marcus was like, almost even more compositional it was mm. just so beautiful so i agree yeah. that was that was like okay 
Back to the uh, shed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how can I be more melodic? I'm doing this all wrong. <laughs> yeah. But then you see like the opposite. I mean, not to say that Thomas Lang isn't melodic, but he's, you know, definitely full of fireworks. And you're like, well, maybe yeah. I don't need all those melodies. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I just need to, to work on playing fast and my rudiments and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought Marcus was deceptive, deceptively like advanced because the ostinatos were so melodic. You're like, you, you kind of overlook like, oh, there's, there's like four rhythms going on with his feet here and he's mm. freely playing over top of it. Mm. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, Rich Redmond, always funny, full of energy. Uh, I loved his, I mean, talking all drum set players, I don't know, percussion. Marcos Lopez, mm. he had a great clinic on the evolution of timbales, the um, vocabulary that can be developed very basic um with very basic rhythms and then how to make those into mel melodies as well um how to expand your timbales into what i guess he's using now as a timbal kit which includes like a hi-hat um a floor tom a kick drum a snare drum and then also how you can apply this if you're a drum set player to your setup that way um and then who else uh Thomas Lang and Pete Lockett were great. They didn't even rehearse. They just kind of went, talked through some stuff, and then they mm -hmm. went out there and like, let's do it. Um, who else? Uh, oh, Steve Ferrone or Ferroni, depending on uh, how which does he one say you. it. I've well, always said Ferroni. So his family um, is was Ferrone, right? Okay. But then people just started saying for his, I guess his mom and dad said Ferone. then people as a young kid started nicknaming him Ferroni. And so he answers to both, but that's actually not his real last name. What? Yeah. <laughs> What's his real last name? Nicholson. how did you find that out? And why would it be not <laughs> Ferroni? <laughs> well, um, uh, spoiler alert. I'm going to have him on my podcast at some point. We uh -huh. talked about it and I will, I will dive into that teaser. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. I think, I mean, yeah, I think we can agree. The PASIC is, is an amazing event. Well, they were also because of last year being all virtual, they were able to have simultaneously live and virtual events. Mm -hmm. um, and they were also just for anyone that was worried about the safety, they required everyone to get the vaccine before going in, before being able to get your badge or every day, if you didn't get the vaccine every day, you had to prove you had a negative COVID test. Um, they made everybody wear masks inside the expo hall, all the seminar rooms. And at that same time in the convention center was um, the BOA bands of America marching band finals, as well as a cheerleading competition <laughs> yeah. where neither one of those groups were wearing any masks, but you just, it was like, they were trying to keep everybody protected and safe. And I think, they did a great job. So shout out to everyone at PAS. For sure. um, shout out to the logistics team. Shout out to the volunteers. Um, and then uh, a couple more things I saw real quick that were great. Um, there was a marching percussion clinic with Colin McNutt, Tom Rarick, and Paul Rennick. And to see how many people jammed into that room to see them and um, appreciate the marching arts. That's awesome. Um, uh, John Scales was there with his group, Mason Kittry and uh, Elon on bass. Mm. Uh, Steel Panned, I think, gets underrepresented. I think world instruments are slightly underrepresented. I mean, obviously, the fireworks are in the drum set, and there's enough kids doing marching arts that that's also big. But I think mm -hmm. um, the world activities um, need to be represented a little bit better. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that, that's my two cents. And um, Rusty Burge, he had a group with uh, Steve Houghton on drums. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are my highlights. I saw uh, Mason in the hallway before the, the last concert, and he just started riffing. He hit me with some some deep stuff. I was like, man, this might have been the biggest lesson I learned of the whole show. It was like, um, you know, if, if I can't. I will never be able to summarize it, but it was just something like, if you're not if you're not playing from the heart, then you're lying to your, your audience or something like that. Mm. I was like, all right, kid. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I'm going home now. <laughs> uh, oh, right. the last concert of the night, uh, or the, of the weekend, Robert Glasper, um, with Vincente Archer and Damian Reed. That mm. was awesome. And, uh, Robert was playing mostly acoustic piano. I know a lot of people know him for playing synths and stuff like that. And they yeah. see him with like Chris daddy Dave or whatever, but to hear him like 
in some instances, almost like Art Tatum or like Bud Powell, like ripping up and down the keys, but melodically, and then backed by Vincent DeArcher on upright, and then Damian Reed being very inventive with the colors and tones that he's doing, and then even like the subdivisions, like he pulled out some brushes and he would subdivide the big beat into a micro beat and the macro beat, I should say, the macro into the micro. And, um, you know, you weren't even thinking about that. You'd hear something and you'd be like, all of a sudden he's like in between it, like, and you're like, oh, I didn't even think that, you know, I didn't even think to hear the music that way. So yeah, shout out to them. Yeah. Great show overall. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's talk about, I mean, we're here talking about gear, all right? Enough about <laughs> education. <laughs> what is this monstrosity that you're, is this your 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 everyday studio rig? What do you got going yeah, on Yeah, this is my pop percussion setup. So I'll use this if I'm playing with a drum set player. Um, this is what I bring out to like weddings, pop tours, um, whatever. This is, this is the pop percussion setup for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have right now in front of you want me to go through what I have in front of me? Yeah, let's quickly okay. run it all down and I'll ask some questions as we go. Sure. I have two congas in front of me. Um, I do have a three conga stand and a third conga behind that curtain over there. But um, for most of the recording, because I also record from this room. So for most of the recording projects, I just need two congas. And mm-hmm. the great Mark Quignotis told me that if you can't get your point across with two congas, three is not going to make a difference. So <laughs> Right. Um, and sometimes I get really lazy and I don't want to carry a third around. So, I mean, that's a lot to carry anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. It all fits on a rock and roller cart, which has been a lifesaver since 2007. Yeah. There's a great R12. Yeah. Get the R12 with the big pneumatic wheels so that, cause gravel and Mm. carpets can be like your nemesis. I mean, I still stairs are still my kryptonite, but I can roll over most things with the giant R12 wheels. Don't get those small wheels. Yeah. <laughs> hey, tell me about tuning congas before you move on. Uh, I mean, I stick around a G and a C. These are a little higher right now because I was doing um, a project that needed higher drums. Mm. Uh, but usually G for the tumbadora, C for the quinto. And then if I'm going to put one in between there, um, you know, I'll pick a melody note that, that works depending on the, the music, but usually GC is where I start. Okay. Do you detune them after every session or you leave them? Um, I'm lazy. So I have synthetic heads on here and I don't detune them. <laughs> there uh, we go. But if they were real, uh, ca- um, I think they switch between calf and water Buffalo. Um, I would have to detune those every time. Otherwise they'll stretch just like your skin of your hand. It like, it will stretch the skin and then it will, will la- lose its elasticity and tone. So um, if you have real skins, detune them if you have synthetic heads like me then do what you want <laughs> Dig it. Are um you missing but, anything t- sonically using the synthetics um well i actually need to change these heads a lot of people use these fiber skin heads um and that's what's on here right now and they are more trebly mm-hmm. than the 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 real animal skin heads so they're good for like pop and rock to cut through, I mean, even though through the the eighties and nineties, when like Mark Quinones and Bobby Allende were playing on like every major session, um, these heads would cut through the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I prefer the warmer, darker tones. So I actually have new drum heads I need to throw on here, and they're all the new skin heads, mm-hmm. which um, are a little more darker for me and closer to those real animal skin heads. So those are the ones that I prefer. But I know a lot of people that prefer these new skins. I'm sorry. They prefer these fiber skins over the new skins. Um, and then over on the bongos, currently I have one new skin and one fiber skin. The fiber skins on the lower drum and the new skins on the higher drum. That was not personal choice. I actually broke a head on the road and then I was like, this is all I got. So I threw it on there. <laughs> now what about tuning those? Those have to be cranked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't actually know which notes I use. I just hear, I've heard so much Afro-Cuban music that I just, he, I sing melodies while I'm playing it. And I'm like, no, that's not it. You know? Mm-hmm. So like when I start playing some like licks that I've heard over, I'm like, oh, there we go. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Um, I usually lean towards like songs that I've heard Johnny Dandy Rodriguez play on bongos. Um, Cause okay. he's like the bongo goat. What records would he be on that we could check out? Anything by like Tipica 73. 
Um, he was in Tito Puente's band too. I mean, he's a legend. <laughs> okay. Uh, would you mind just playing some bongas and congas so we can hear them? Yeah, sure. Let me move this out of the way. So before we move away from this, mm -hmm. let's talk about the technique of playing these instruments for a drum set player who's going to buy some hand drums. The slap is obviously the hardest one to get, but where should they start? What, you know, what is the technique? How do you hold your hand? Right, right. Is there a cheater slap that we can get away with? <laughs> <laughs> so the first exercise I would say is just uh, like a basic Manateo exercise. And that's, you know, realizing that the, the, the the areas of your hand because it's the manipulation of your hand that's going to give you the best um, sound. And that's the most important, not the flash, not all these little licks and stuff, but like the manipulations of your hand to make sure that the quality of your sound is the best. So uh, of the Manateo, it's basically like a, a palm and then your fingertips, right? So you get those two sounds. So when you come down with, when you go to lift up for the palm, you're going to lift from your, your wrist. It's going to break. Mm -hmm. and you're going to stay relaxed. And then when you come down, you're going to come down with your entire palm, but you're going to lead with these where the knuckles meet your fingers mm -hmm. right there. And that's going to give you your good bass tone. You want your fingers to be closed. It's not like a hard, like you don't, you want the more relaxed you are, the better you're going to get. So you want to come down with your palm like that. And you're leaving it against the drum. Correct. And then uh, when I go to get the slap, I'm going to lift up like you're waving goodbye and then you just kind of like flop it down. But just, when you come down, you're leading with the outside of your fingertips and the outside of your hand. So you're going to get a little bit of space in here where you were coming down with the bass tone before mm -hmm. that you want to leave a little bit of space there so that you can get this slap sound. All right. And again, you're leaving your hand. So you're kind of muting it with the flesh the, of your With hand. the very back of your palm. That's coming down like a millisecond before your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, now once you get those, so I would used to do, this is an exercise I learned from, uh, Giovanni Hildago. It's like out there, common knowledge. If you don't practice this exercise, you should. So it was just quarter notes to eighth notes, to 16th notes, two measures of each. Right. So for those of you who are listening and not watching, that was all one hand on one drum in the 16th. It looked like a flopping fish. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. And then um, the next thing, sorry, somebody just, I've just got it. Okay. All right. So now uh, the next thing is that you do it with the other hand too. So I just did it with my left hand. You would do it with your right hand. And then um, what you do is then you put them together uh, one hand in between each other. I will explain it. So it's going to be bass tone of the right, bass tone of the left, fingertips of the right, fingertips mm -hmm. of the left. So then you do the same exercise. Uh, so that's if you're listening and not watching. That's palm, palm, tip, tip, right, left, right, left, mm -hmm. and then you move to, and then you move to eighth notes. Then 16th, right? And then you speed all of that up, usually with a metronome. Um, now, in most of the music, I would not do bass, bass, tip, tip as far as what I'm playing. I would do bass, tip, tip, bass. So um, if I was going to play that in the music, I would start literally on the fourth 16th note partial before the beat. So it'd be one, two, three, four, yeah, a one, a two, a three. Ah. 
that's that's what you're gonna hear in most of the music um like like a lot of the cuban rumba wawanko yambu uh rumba colombia you'll hear that and then sometimes people will do that like as a feel i know if you go and see like chonquito giovanni Pedrito martinez they'll stick this in you know super fast as like um like a fill aha mm. uh-huh. yeah all right so that's the if you want to actually practice and get good at the congas what is the rock pop drummer groove that we need to learn on congas to get through the gig gotcha i'll give you two <laughs> okay. so wait so wait so after you do the manateo right that's your heel tip motion yep. that motion will help you get all the other tones so like the next thing you would be an open tone mm-hmm. and that's going to be the same almost the same motion as when you do the fingertips for the uh the second half of the manateo the, the finger the slap ish kind of sound mm-hmm. the open tone and then you manipulate your hand a little bit and you can get an open slap that's right? the mysterious one i don't know what's going on there so you it's, hitting it, the you're hitting the the bearing edge of the drum so there's a spot where you slide your hand if you put your hand in the middle of the drum and you slide it all the way back towards the rim there's gonna be a spot where the center of your palm those lifelines just kind of like fit they just kind of fit right there so if you can just find that where it's comfortable mm-hmm. that's where you're going to get your open slap sound from now the slight differences would be when you're going to open tone that same knuckle connection where you had your fingertips touching your palm that you want to kind of get in like slightly inside the rim because your second knuckle um second digit i guess on your fingers that's going to provide the tone so you, you you want to get that in side the rim just a little bit. And then if you can keep your wrist flat mm-hmm. and your hand, your palm flat, that's going to give you a good dark open tone. But then when you go to the slap, you want to bring that down. You're going to drop your wrist ever so slightly and your thumb is part of the stroke. So your thumb coming down slightly before your fingers are going to help you with that open slap. Uh-huh. And then to make it a closed slap, you just mute the drum with your other hand. Right. So that's so, almost like a harmonic on a guitar. You're kind yeah. of like making the drum have an overtone rather than a fundamental. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, your so if you have your basic your palm sound and your open tone and your open slap and your closed slap, you can get w- away with so many rhythms. So one of them would be the basic what we call a tumbao or or a marcha, and that's just. Um, I can explain it as I'm playing it. So uh, I'm left-handed. So I'm doing most of the Manateo stuff with my right hand. So that's going to be right, right, left, right, 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 left, left, right, right, left, right, 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 left, left. And the, the tones I'm getting are heel, tip, slap, tip, heel, tip, open, open, heel, tip, slap, tip, heel, tip, open, open. Now, when you start a song, you start with an open tone, and then every time after that, it's just a manateo. So if I was going to start a song, I'd go. Ah. And that will get you through so much stuff. You can like build me up buttercup. It's a tumbao, but it's kind of swung. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Steely Dan's um, do it again. That's also Tumbao just happens to have a double on one hand. Cool. Right. Um, you know, and then there's the soul Tumbao, which is basically open tones to close slaps. You might hear that in like some like Marvin Gaye or Donny Hathaway. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so th- those two grooves will get you through so much music. Mm-hmm. All right, let's shift over to the little guys. The Mongos. So those there's the a pattern. On there. Yeah, so I'm going to move this microphone so I can get closer. Um, that's a little bit different because congas are more of your hands. Bongos are more of your fingertips. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you start with just cutting the head in half with one hand from your thumb all the way back to your wrist. All right, so now we have cut the head in half and it's muted. So the hand that you're going to move, now it's weird. I play congos left-handed, but I play bongos right-handed. I don't know why. 
I think I think when I started playing, I was mirroring somebody on the congas, and then when I actually got over to learn the bongos, like there was somebody sitting next to me to show me, mm. you know. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I suggest you. I went at, and then it's funny when I went to take lessons with Giovanni. He's left-handed too, so he set them up left-handed, and I sat across from him, so they were right-handed for me. And I told him, I was like, "Oh, these are backwards." He's like, "Good." <laughs> he's like, "Can you turn left?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Can you turn to the right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Perfect. You should be able to play either way on the, the drums. It should be music, not patterns." And I was like, oh, "Gotcha." Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't let me. For, I let me. Don't let me for, forget to tell you about how I perfected my slap. That's a, that's a good story. Let okay. me get to the bongos and then we'll go back to the, the slap. So the head's cut off in half and it's muted. And with your fingertips on your right hand, if you're playing right-handed, you're going to just um, use the, the upper two digits part of your fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I use two fingers, sometimes three. It, de- it honestly depends on how fast the music is and how big of a sound I need. Mm-hmm. But I'm basically just going to play eighth notes. So I'm going to do three on the top and on the um, the macho drum, which is a small one, and one on the embra, which is the larger drum. So it's. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what that hand's doing. The other hand is going to switch from having your thumb cut the head in half all the way down to your fingertips to the outside of the drum. Now that's muting the drum, mm-hmm. but because it's muting less of the drum, it's going to be a different tone. So I'm going to switch that in between every one of these eighth note hits on my right hand. So can you hear that there's two different sounds here? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what you're doing. But that's the pattern that you should learn. It's called the Martillo. It's the standard pattern. But a lot of times they can vary away from that because um, they're so high tuned and there's a timbales keeping time and the congos are keeping time so that they can kind of phrase in and around what the singing is doing. So you might hear like, you know, kind of like. If you were playing a, a, a pattern on the drum set, right, and you got your snare on two and four, you might fill in with some of those ghost notes. Mm-hmm. Like very, um, very Dave Garibaldi-ish, if you will. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Is it like the bongos, the kind of the one instrument that gets improvised more than any of the percussion section? Is that kind of the rule? It can in a salsa situation, but then when you get to the chorus, um, they put down the bongos and they pick up the bongo bell mm-hmm. and they start keeping time. Right, and that's when the timbales get off the shell of the drum, right, and they go to the, the up to the you fill. Cue everybody, and then they'll go to like the 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 timbali bell, the mambo bell, and that's when the now the bongos aren't in the way, so the timbali player has more room to play more fills to cue the band, and the and the conga player can be more melodic. So instead of like playing on just one drum, they'll all of a sudden maybe start to do more melodic phrases. because the bongos aren't in their way anymore mm-hmm. so oh, all right yeah. timbales i think oh the, uh, uh before we go away the slap oh yeah i'm glad you're keeping so, me on point <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact um i was at umass amherst and um 
after college and one of our friends in our friend group in the, probably in the drum line, uh, was turning 21 and like, all right, we're all taking him out. We're going to the strip club. And I think the strip club is one of the most useless places because you might as well just set your money on fire. It's like, you're not getting anything in return unless they have a good buffet. I mean, that's the, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, anyway, I'm not, Uh, Atlanta uh, might, you know, whatever. Ew, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you went to school in West Virginia, so I don't know what you were dealing with, but I don't even want that. Nope. Nope. Won't go there. (laughs) They were coolers. It was a BYOB. That's all I can say. Now that this podcast is completely derailed. Um, so uh, we, we took him out of the strip club and we're sitting there and we're all putting money in front of him like, and we're stepping back. So the girls have to come in. They have to dance for him. It's his birthday. Happy birthday. And all of a sudden on the other side of the room, I just hear pow, pow, pow. And I'm like, I look over and it's this girl and she's smacking her butt cheek like as hard what? as she Well, it looks like as hard as she can, but it's just like you can hear it over like the DJ. It's just ri- through the whole room. And I was like mesmerized. I was like, oh my God. So I went up to her and I was like, does that hurt? She goes, oh, no, no, no. She's like these, if you don't hear it, and she went hit her butt and it was like thud. She's like, those hurt. But these, they don't hurt. She's like, you have to be super relaxed and you have to you have to let, you know, the fingertips like rebound off of it. It's like, and all of a sudden just clicked for me. Like, that's how you get a good conga slap. Oh, you have to be relaxed. <laughs> you can't hold on. Or in that, cause I, at times I was like, my hand was hurting mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, cause I'm too tense. I'm hitting too hard. I'm holding on. The more relaxed I am, the bigger sounds I was getting out of the congas. And I was like, I don't remember what this girl's name is, but I hope she made a lot of tips that night. And I'd like to thank her for, I'm so glad we went back to that story. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then, <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. If, I know you're into gear, so I was going to just tell you the microphones that I've got up here on two. Oh, yeah. What do you got going on? So on these conga drums, I have a Sennheiser 421 direct mic over each drum. And then mm-hmm. in between the two drums, I have this ribbon mic. It's an AEA R92, which is similar to the R84, but it's rewired inside so it can be used as a close mic. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I pan the Kinto and the Tumba a little bit to the left and the right, and I keep the R92 ribbon right in the middle. And that is the conga sound that I'll send off to people as a stereo mix. I thought that was a lamp. <laughs> that this guy? looks like a lamp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looks like a looks like the Beats pill. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. But that's uh, that's what I get. And then on the bongos, I've got a uh, in the studio. I've got an SM57 up close, and then a Sennheiser um, large diaphragm condenser over the top of it. Uh, the MK MK4. Mm-hmm. That and I mix those two together, and that'll be my bongo sound. But this MK4 is also my overhead, so I can also use it. Um, for like shakers and tambourine and stuff if I need to just do a single track like that. Mm-hmm. Timbales, on top of the Timbales, I got the um, Sennheiser E914 pencil condenser. Mm-hmm. And then underneath it, I have the uh, RE320 by EV. Um, the RE20 is a little warmer and darker, and I wanted the 320 because it's a little brighter, and I wanted these timbales to be able to cut through the mix. So, Just one mic for both drums? Yeah, it's it's a big enough diaphragm that I haven't had any issues hearing both of the drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, um, so yeah, the timbales, you know, there's the, everybody knows or should know the clave pattern, right? There's many different ones. There's the Afro Bembe one. Right, which you typically would hear on a bell. Mm-hmm. Right, and then there's the song clave, which lands on the beat. And then you have the rumba clave, which the third note is displaced by an eighth note. The Brazilian clave. Everything I just played was in the direction of three two, so that would mean that the three note side would come first, which is the more syncopated side, and then the two note side would come second, which is the more 
uh, release of the tension side, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have different cascada patterns, which are usually played on the shell. There's one that was from Havana. Then there's the other one from Montes- Montanzas. Right. Where's so the then, downbeat. Do that one again. Sure. That's one, two, three, four. Did you get that? Yep. I didn't know those patterns were from different places. Yeah, it's like East Coast, West Coast, like Biggie, Tupac. Uh-huh. So um, when would you, you ever mix them? Would you get kicked off uh, the gig? Well, I mean, typically each one lends to different patterns. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like when you do, like if I'm just doing the, the rumba clave here and I do the wah wah co, if I go like this, that is the Havana style because it's got two tones on the high drum. Mm-hmm. But if I go, with only one tone open on the top, that's the Montanza style. So if I were playing the Cascara, right? Or if I play the other one, oh, sorry, my bad. Make sense? Yeah, that man, no idea. I just learned something huge for me right there. Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. What's the price of admission? Everyone, see you <laughs> next week. <laughs> All right, thank you. Good night. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, that's basically uh, the, the you know you you learn the different claves, you learn the the, the different palito pattern. Palito patterns are what's played on the shell, um, and then you have your mambo bell pattern, which also sometimes gets played on a cymbal when they get to like the monia, the shout chorus section. But it's mm-hmm. basically, um, I'll play it two three because it's a more hip, you usually hear it that way. Um, one. One. Mm-hmm. So if I play the clave with it. Right? So that one, the reason I play it mostly 2-3 is a lot of times in the Latin music, there will be an odd measure break. So mm-hmm. a break that is three bars, or five bars. So uh, a song might start three, two in the direction three, two, and then they'll have a break like drum fill and it'll be like three bars or five bars. And then when it comes out of the break, it's two, three, mm-hmm. but and that's a little bit more hip to dance to. Um, so that's kind of something that you should be aware of. Does that bell pattern ever Roomba style? If you're playing a Mambo course, is it ever Roomba clave? Well, a lot of the, a lot of that dance music, like song, uh, songo, timba, uh, well, how do I explain this without getting in trouble by the clave police? <laughs> a lot of the like the salsa music that you hear, yeah, is generally song clave. But okay. when you get into timba and songo, they started to use rumba clave just because it was more syncopated mm-hmm. and more fun. So like the song clave, it has like a it has like a pause. Right, so if I'm tapping on the rim here, quarter notes, and I play the clave, that's just a pause there. Pause. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. But if I'm playing the rumba clave, it just keeps rolling forward, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, there's no pause, so the music just keeps moving, there's more energy to it. Mm -hmm. So that's why the newer styles people typically play a Roomba style clave instead of song. Excellent. Now is the are the drums tuned to specific intervals pitches? Yeah, same idea like kind of like a fourth or fifth depending on who you are, what you like. Right? And the playing zones, people should know the playing zones are either the center on the low drum, the center on the high drum, and then the rim shot which is like if you're in drum corps, it's not a gawk shot. It's not back in the middle of the stick. It's a ping shot. So the rim shot's coming in like that first couple inches of the mm-hmm. stick. Right? That's 
kind of yeah. what you're getting. Um, and now I have this other bell over here because sometimes the timbala player has to do like two bells. Right. So, and then there's the cha-cha bell, which is the small one. But for most of my purposes, um, as what I do in pop percussion is somebody will ask me to, this is how it started. Somebody asked me to record and I'll go and overdub each thing, you know, congas, shakers, tambourines, cowbells, whatever. And then they'll be like, Hey, can you come and play this show with us? And can you cover all the parts that you recorded? Of course. <laughs> so I had to like build my independence. So, you know, that, that might have like one hand on the, the bells, another hand on the conga. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then as I got better at my independence, um, shout out to Horacio Elnegro Hernandez for all of his help and inspiration in that. Um, I added these, you probably can't see them, but there's two foot pedals in front of me. Mm. Um, one of them is connected to the jam tam tambourine. And the other one is connected to the ES2 cha-cha bell. So I might, you know, um, let's say if I'm playing my secret weapon, which is this jingle stick here, mm. right? And they want that to continue. I have a mounted tambourine attached to the stand that the bongos are on. Yep. So with one hand, I'll play the, the, the jingle stick striking the tambourine. Right. And then another hand, I might play the Congo Tumbao. And then if I really need to drive it, I'll have my foot on this Cha Cha Bell. Right. I got to um, get one of those jingle sticks. That is cool. <laughs> Yeah, and you can play it on a you know on a cymbal too, or you know sometimes I'll go from like a cowbell to like this um, this SPD pad over here where I have all these sounds and um, to get like claps and snaps and stuff like that. But since I don't have the SPD plugged in right now, I can just go up to this trap stack. Right, but now I'm still missing the strike of my tambourine. So that's why I have my foot pedal down here. I can do that. I can be like, uh, does that make sense? Yeah. That's epic. So, yeah. And then, um, depending on what's going on, like I, I've worked out independence that I can switch feet while I'm doing stuff or whatever. Um, yeah, that's this jingle stick has helped save me a lot. As well as like this thumb thing, which we talked about. It's a shaker mm -hmm. that slides under your finger. I'll, if I have like a stick and I want the shaker in between, like the, let's say I'm striking this cowbell, that's something I'll. This mic stand's kind of in the way for me to get accurate 16ths, but. Kind of how I would use that. Does that has that thumb thing replaced holding the shaker in your hand? It it largely? it it does. If I need to eliminate holding a shaker, do you know what I mean? Like I have shakers over here, right? Um, so like I can play, I can play shaker, and I can play the Congo. And if I just need a little bit of drive, I can put my foot on this cowbell. Right, which actually it's kind of cool. Um, so depending on what the song needs, I let the song dictate. I might do like the shaker with one hand, the conga with the other, and that's where I would switch feet from bell to tambourine if I just want the strike. You know what I mean? It's, it all did, did. I just have these options. Mm -hmm. So depending on what I need to do, I can get through that. Interesting that you switch which hand you're using the shaker for. Depending. Oh, on I mean, it's just I, I'm stronger <clears throat> on my left hand with the shaker, but I'm stronger on the congas with my left hand also. 
So mm-hmm. going back to like what Giovanni said, you should be able to do both hands, both hands, you know, both hands, whatever. So if I have the congas on my left, I'll just play them on my left and I'll put the shaker in my right hand. Mm-hmm. But if I'm playing some like bell stuff, then I'll put the shaker in my left hand and I'll play the bell stuff in my right because the timbales are on my right. You know, it's I'm mm-hmm. I'm I, I try to think about things melodically and ambidextrously instead of I learn this pattern. I have to play it this way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Is there, I'm going to talk, come back to shakers, but is there, what's the role of timbales in like a non Latin context? Are you using it primarily for fills, cowbells? I mean, what? Uh, mostly it's going to be like the bell stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But there's certain places where you can do like a shot, you know, and that kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Like, um, was it, give it, give it to me. Uh, Rick James, give it to me, baby. Mm-hmm. There's no timbales in there, but like, there's certain parts where like this cowbell will drive things, <laughs> and then like switching sections, just doing a little five stroke, that mm-hmm. kind of helps cue some songs, you know. So like, even though there may not be timbales in the song, it can be used tastefully. Mm-hmm. If you if you know, just kind of in the same way that it would be in a Latin band, like cueing the rest of the band. All right, that segues right into playing with a live drummer. Mm. How do you not step all over each other <laughs> for fills and patterns and who's going to play the subdivisions? Right. Well, the first thing is somebody always has to be playing time. So I lend to, if I'm in a pop situation, I lend to just playing time first. Like I don't, if I'm in a Latin band, the, the, the t- timbales and congas, they kind of are driving the bus a little bit more and the drum set player will be experienced enough to know this style of music is uh, more in those Afro-Cuban instruments. So he knows that he's, he's kind of guiding, but he's not really driving the bus. Does that make sense? Mm. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, you have like pop Latin crossovers like Mark Anthony, Rick, Ricky Martin, um, Enrique Iglesias, where there is a drum set player because they also do, crossover and and those drummers that are in those bands are also can also understand and sometimes play percussion as well so they know how the relationship works and they can work well with a percussionist but if you're a drum set player that primarily plays in pop rock funk and you may not always have a percussionist the percussionist should know that the drummer's driving the bus and um hopefully the percussionist will have played some drum set. So you kind of know where the drum set player is going to fill like at the end of the measure beats three and four. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to do a fill, I might set up his fill or, or her fill or come out of their fill over the bar line just a little bit. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. so like, I might let them mean? go like, you know, I might come at the end. Uh-huh. Um, or I might do something like, you know, leading into it. Like I just kind of, I've played enough drum set to know typically where a drum set player plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my first inclination as a percussionist coming into a scenario with a drum set player, especially if I haven't played with them is I wait and I listen. Mm-hmm. I just play time and I listen for where they tend to have their holes. It's like a conversation. Like right now you're listening to me talk and when you hear me take a breath, you go, mm-hmm, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm listening to phrase endings and how they are working and what they're doing, you know? And I'm also listening to how they play their grooves. Do they play a lot of ghost notes or do they leave open space? Well, if they don't play a lot of ghost notes, I'm gonna pick up a shaker uh, or a tambourine and fill that in. If they do play a lot of ghost notes, I might just stick with tambourine strikes and play more congas, so, you know, like, I, I have um, I have enough options and colors to make their grooves sound different, even if they play the same groove on every song. Um, I have different ways that I can make it sound cool. And that also comes from me playing different styles of music, like Afro-Cuban, orchestral, marching, um, pit orchestras for plays, you know, like in musicals. You know, like I have enough genres that I can like be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this fader up. I'm gonna pull the orchestral fader up. I'm gonna, you know, if I was playing like some Adele stuff, I might do like some orchestral type stuff. If I was gonna play some uh Tower of Power, I'd be like, okay, well this is funky. What did J- Johnny Griggs do with James Brown? You know that kind of stuff. On the flip side, are there things that you just wish drummers would stop doing when there's a percussionist on a gig? Yeah. You don't have to play so much. <laughs> 
like there's two now there's two two sets of hands so four hands uh two feet at least for that per for the drumstick player and if you're lucky and you have me at least a third foot like there's a lot of limbs so <laughs> we don't have to work so hard we can kind of team up you know and if they listen also so then they can be like oh i hear what you're doing over that's kind of cool i can i don't have to fill every hole there's mm -hmm. another guy here or girl and they can fill that space so yeah you don't have to play so much because be when you're playing Cuban, say that again <laughs> it should be word to the wise for every situation you don't well i mean so if, if you study like african and afro-cuban and, and, and latin american music there's typically more than one percussion source right mm -hmm. so those people are actually used to playing with other people and finding the holes it's when you get to like north american rock pop funk where they're typically the only percussion source so they're used to like having to fill it up especially if it's in a smaller band like a power trio there's no other person to get in the way so they can really fill that up you know mm. um yeah let's um let's wrap it up by talking about like let's there is not a drum set player and you're the hybrid you have to cover the role of a drum set player but you don't mm. play drum set what what's your rig and then how does those instruments function for you could be playing grooves and textures all at once. So are you talking more of my singer songwriter setup? Yeah. Like the type of rig you would pack into a van and do a tour with Charlie Hunter or something like that. Like, what okay. That well, so yeah, uh, Charlie, well, first of all, Charlie's a freak. <laughs> like nobody plays like Charlie. Um, cause he's covering all the bass and guitar parts at mm -hmm. the same time. So, uh, with that setup that I used with him, um, I was subbing for Keita Agawa, who is also a percussionist that can also play drum set. So when I went to go, ch I went to check out the show before I joined the tour, just to kind of be like, what is he working with? And I know that Charlie, his first instrument is drums. So he loves playing with all kinds of drummers and he loves playing, um, really rhythmic music. So he over the years he's played in all different scenarios with all of the best drummers so i was like all right you know what i'm not going to be those guys i'm he you know i'm not going to be able to replicate what he's done in the past with like mike clark and quest love and you know all the greats you know like i'm like what what can i bring to it well i'm a percussionist so um i can cover you know, the kick snare sounds, but I can also add these other colors that he might not be used to hearing. So when I saw Keita show up with like a frame drum based drum set, mm. <laughs> um, you know, like the, the frame drums were turned flat um, so that they could be hit like drums. And he, you know, he had all these different sounds and colors. He had, a, I think like a, a brush attached to one of his Panderos. So it sounded like a snare drum. It's just, I think he had like a, was it the kibosh? The, like the African big gourd as his bass drum. He's like, I was like, okay, you know, all, no holds barred. Like I can do whatever I want. And I had been playing with a lot of singer songwriters. So my set, my hybrid kit started around a cajon. Mm -hmm. And then um, from the cajon, I added uh, shakers and tambourines with one hand. So I'm playing the cajon with one hand and playing shakers and tambourines with the other. And then I could add these foot pedals. So I had like the cowbell on one pedal, tambourine on another. Um, I had a low boy hi-hat that I added. Mm -hmm. um, I then added a bass drum pedal that would strike the cajon so I could free up my hands to do other stuff. I added a ride. I got this pancake snare from A&F, which fit in my cymbal bag. That was the main impetus mm -hmm. <laughs> for getting that one. Um, so... Like I was like, okay, if I need to be really drummy, I can go to the ride, the snare, and the kick pedal, and the low boy. If I need to be a little more intimate, I can play the cajon, uh, tambourine. I can put a shaker in one hand, or even I had a conga on my left, so I could do that. And then I added um, the Stanton Moore Pandero, tuned it down really low, and I put a bass drum mic underneath it, so it sounded like a big surdo. And Charlie actually plays the Pandero really well. So there was a song that we did on the road where... I played all percussion, he played Pandero, and the other third person was a vocalist. So it was just drums and voice, which is kind of cool. Very cool. Um, so yeah, I look at it as like, what needs to be covered for this song? I have now a lot more options than just kick, snare, hat. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so some of the funky stuff, um, when he would get really busy, I would put down a shaker, put down the jingle stick, because that's going to get in the way of his like strumming. 
So I would then open it up and be like kick snare kind of voice on the Cajon and um, uh, conga drum on my left and then maybe add some length to it with a tambourine pedal or if I needed to drive it, I had the cowbell pedal. But that was kind of my impetus there. Again, I let the music dictate what choices I make. But I'm just fortunate that I have all these choices from working on my independence and learning these styles. I really think of it as like, like if I was a producer sitting behind a big Neve console, like which faders am I going to pull up and pull down and how loud am I going to pull them up? And what, what's the sound? Is it going to be a trebly sound or is it going to be a dark sound? Um, and then listening to mix it, like great mixers like Manny Marroquin, if you go to his discography and see all the types of music he's mixed, it's all these different genres and styles, but typically he keeps you interested in the way that he mixes a song. And it's like pretty much every 10 seconds, there will be a new sound introduced, you know? Um, so that's kind of how I think I'm like, all right, let me just start with some time. And then after time, I can then think about the colors and other groove choices that I might have. That's great. All right. So last question. It's a, mm -hmm. a, a show all about gear. What would be the drummer percussionist starter pack? So I'm a drummer and I and my band is going to do some acoustic shows or something and I need something that I can quickly, you know, just cover the gig. What would be your drummer turned percussionist starter pack? So they're typically a drum set player and now they're just playing a gig. Those same songs, those pop or rock or funk songs, but it has to be super quiet for an acoustic gig. Oh, okay. Um, I would grab a cajon. Okay. And I, and I'd learn how to play it like correctly. I know I've seen a lot of drummers they get the cajon and you're like, "Oh, I just hit it." But it's it, it takes some technique. Like the same way you I have the advantage of coming to the cajon from playing hand drums, so I know how to manipulate my hands on the cajon. Mm -hmm. But there's some folkloric styles you should really check out cuz you can get these sounds and colors out of the cajon that you wouldn't even think you would. And that would be like Peru. There's like uh Festejo, Lando, Zamacueca. These are the the cajon is the national instrument of Peru. So definitely go and check out those rhythms. And then in the seventies, Paco de Lucia, the flamenco guitar player, he came to Peru and found the cajon. And one of the best cajon players gave him a cajon as a gift. And he brought it back to Spain because he had been searching for other sounds. He tried bongos and congas and they weren't f fitting the, the, the flamenco music the way he wanted. So when he found the cajon, that's when he brought it back. And of course there were some purists that were like, no, you can't put that in there. And other people are like, wow, that's really inventive. But now years later, the cajon is a, a primary instrument in the flamenco setting and mm -hmm. the techniques and stuff that they can get out of the cajon with like some snaps and the way that they can uh, manipulate their fingers and palms on the cajon. They get all these other colors, like check out Diego Alvarez, um, or El Piranha, or Jose, um, uh, I'm just based on his last name. Jose. Looking me for help. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's Montaigne. Um, but yeah, like just check out the some flamenco cajon and you, there's, you know, enough information in there to be able to fill out a groove rather than just going boom, bap, boom, bap. You can, you know, I, started with just adding paradiddles with accents and taps. And then the next thing I would say is add a shaker. Cause then you can get some wash. Mm. Um, there's all kinds of different tambourine options, whether it's like foot tambourines that slide over your shoe, or you can actually get a pedal. Um, that'll give some length to like your strikes. If you're striking a tambourine as well, we already talked about the jingle stick. Um, yeah, that would be the first things I would grab Cajon shaker tambourine start there and then if you really need to get into it, you can add a cowbell or a cymbal um man yeah. there we go that's your shopping list merry christmas everyone <laughs> and um now if you check out somebody like brian potts he just plays pandero and he's got you know the pandero's tuned high as if it was um like uh some of the brazilian folkloric grooves right but mm -hmm. he also has a pandero that's tuned really low and he sticks a mic on it and he can get it to sound like a full drum set with just this one thing, like ooh, and it's got the um, the what are the chancletas, the tambourine jingles that are in there, uh, platellas. I'm spacing. I think chancleta is a the sandal that the Hispanic grandmothers would throw at you to discipline you. 
Um, I'm blanking. Brian, forgive me. Um, but the 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 Pandero jingles are different than tambourine jingles. Mm -hmm. So when you play the Pandero tune low, like a funk drum, and you hear those jingles, it kind of gives a little bit more, almost like if there was a shaker involved, you know. Mm. So there you go, Pandero, Cajon, Shaker, Tambourine, and then you can add on Cowbell and Cymbal. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Damon. I've got um, a lot of work to do here. Get my thoughts <laughs> back up. <laughs> thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, I enjoyed seeing you at PASIC. And um, yeah, let me know any, anytime you want more information. I got you. Where can uh, people learn more about what you're doing? Uh, my website is just damongrant.org. .com was uh, way too expensive. So mm -hmm. um, I will stick with .org for a little while longer. Um, Instagram. Actually, all my social media handles are my name, Damon. M Grant. So you can just find me there. I post a lot of stuff. Um, I'm recording for people from home if you need that. And uh, I'm also available to go on tour. Yay. There we go. All right. I'll get you back on when there's, I have you know, you some other stuff to talk about later. So we'll get you back on when that comes out. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah. I have some work to do today uh, on the, in here on that, which you're referring to. That's it for this week's episode. If you like the show, please head over to iTunes where we get your podcast and give us a five-star rating and drop us a nice review. That helps spread the word and gets this podcast into the ears of more drummers around the world. For now, have a good week, and we will see you next time.